focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Hong Bo-kyung and Kwon Soa, joining us in the studio. Guys, welcome back. Happy Friday. You guys watched the match last night? Of course. I was in the train. Ah, there oh. you go. From work. Yeah, she's, she's been yeah. uh, very busy. And, so uh, I was in the train. It's so all right. I wasn't able to see the game live, but I saw some highlights this morning. Great. With, with, with no goals being scored. Right. Highlight with no goals. No, I, I'll be honest with you. It was a uh, uh, rather fun match yesterday. I think uh, South Korea did it much better than I think a lot of people expected. But we are going to start things off with the uh, World Cup news today. And I guess so. it's good that you watched the match last <laughs> night. Uh, South Korea's first World Cup match. This in Group H. Uh, against uh, Uruguay. Obviously, Uruguay uh, ranked much higher than South Korea. Uh, South Korea being the underdogs in this match. Uh, let's uh, get the highlights from uh, last night's match. Sure. So this was the game between South Korea and Uruguay, and Koreans were fixed to their TVs or other screens wherever, wherever they were cheering from at 10 p.m. Korea time, uh, 4 p.m. Doha, when the first match of Group H took place at the Education City Stadium. And uh, also, quite a lot of Red Devils were seen uh, at the stadium, uh, Korean residents and visitors. Uh, and I must say, it almost felt like a home game at mm. sometimes when they all cheered. You could only hear the cheering of the Korean yeah, fans. Right? <laughs> where they are? Oh. The Uruguayan fans were not as loud, oh, okay. uh, but you have the usual Red Devil cheering mm-hmm. that's going on, right? Yes. So the game, as you already mentioned before, turned out scoreless, nil-nil, so earning both teams one point. But despite not being able to observe a goal during this game, it was an exciting one, I have to say, with both teams having had close chances in leading the game. I won't go into the details because uh, probably most of us... uh, uh, watched it or uh, b- but the gist is that uh, it was a uh, nil-nil but there were uh, moments of chances uh, yeah. where uh, both sides could have uh, actually led the game uh, and although winning this game would have lowered the pressure for Team Korea which found itself in not the easiest group uh, a draw against Uruguay is not bad though not bad at all given that Uruguay ranks 14th in the latest FIFA world ranking and South Korea 28th and also the Despite a recent face injury, we have Captain Son Heung-min in our team and the Korean players' game was evaluated as high quality in many ways. Uh, I liked how one media outlet said Uruguay have some of world football's biggest names, but South Korea have Son Heung-min. And that's not all. We have uh, other uh, high qualified yes, um, players uh, and uh, coach uh, Paulo Bento said we had a very good performance and we are a brave team. So uh, everyone's attention is fixed on uh, the next game, which will take place on Monday with Ghana. And this is considered as a must-win match. I think Ghana is ranking 61st or... 64th, I think, is uh, their FIFA ranking. Uh, Anyways, it was the lowest among the uh, teams in... H, Group H. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me just, uh, let's see. Ghana is, oh, 61st. You're right. Okay, yeah, they're that's right. 61st. Uh, <laughs> right, so let's do hope. 
Yeah, but the, you know, again, the ranking yeah. doesn't really matter, right? Uh, yeah, because right. again, we saw Ghana play against Portugal. Portugal mm-hmm. is ranked highest in Group H, and uh, they scored two goals against yeah. uh, Portugal. Uh, and so Portugal won three to two, and so they're now in first place uh, in Group H. But like Soa said, I mean, it was a nil-nil draw, but it it could have there could have been multiple goals in that. I think mm-hmm. uh, the big one for South Korea was uh, Hwang Ijo right in front of the goal, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of shagged yeah. it. And, and also uh, Son Heung-min at the end of the second half. Yeah, that was I mean, that was just the be- Son Heung-min. I, I you know he's playing a different match right now. I give it to him. Uh, he's playing with an injured face. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not as aggressive as mm-hmm. he would like to be for. Uh, you know, obvious reasons here. There was some injury scares. Kim Min Jae uh, had some uh, calf issues. Uh, yeah, calf issues as well. But I have to say, when Lee Gang In came in, that changed the pace of the match. And I think uh, Paulo Bento needs to uh, play more of uh, Lee Gang In. And I don't know if you guys saw. I don't know if you heard, but when Lee Gang In came into the match, mm-hmm. uh, the fans were cheering Lee Gang In, Lee Gang In, because. Oh. That was the big thing. They wanted to see him play, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Paolo Bento during the, the friendlies prior uh, didn't start him. And uh, Lee Gang-in, for all of you Ajay fans out there, uh, <laughs> know him from the Shutori uh, TV show from back oh, in the day. Right. <laughs> he was the little kid back then. He was a little kid. It was in the Shutori uh, back in the 2002, and uh, now he's grown wow. up. And 20 years later, he is uh, playing at the, wow. uh, the World Cup. So, uh, mm-hmm. obviously... Uh, Big moment. And Patrick Pierce wrote something in in German, and I can't read. Einer geht nach, Einer geht nach rain. I don't know what that is. And put Einer geht noch, Einer geht noch. What is it? Ah, Einer geht. One uh, goes. We and, could, right. Einer geht noch. Don't you guys speak German? Einer geht noch. One more goal could like it kind of means yeah we can get. One more goal, goal, one more goal. One goes in, one goes in, one goes in, (laughs) says Patrick. John Jang says, uh, Kim Min-jae took an arrow to the knee and stood up like a champion. That's right. That's the player that I wore the uh, uniform of. Uh, But, yeah. yeah. I also also noticed uh, this one player... Uh, surname Cho, yeah. After, how everyone is talking about how good looking he is. I know. Oh. After he, after that game, I heard that his Instagram like suddenly, Blew up. yeah, with <laughs> some tens of thousands of new of course uh, followers. Or what's the name again? Cho Gyu-sung. Okay. Uh, Cho Gyu-sung is the uh, the former MVP in the K League, okay. and uh, he he came in as soon as he came in, he just kind of brushed his hair back, and then I think everyone <laughs> kind of sort of fainted. Uh, good looking guy. Uh, you know, if you're like me and Soa, we watched it at home uh, in the comfort of our living rooms <laughs> and, uh, and in the warm living room that we have. But uh, many went out to the streets to cheer. Uh, this at the Gwanggeumun Square last night as well. Uh, apparently almost uh, 26,000 gathered in the square, which, by the way, is very small compared to previous uh, World Cups. You have to take into consideration a number of things. It's number one, it's late. Uh, number two, it's cold. Uh, and so... Uh, still, though, uh, many brave fans out there. Let's get the details of this, Pogyang. Sure. So, as you know, the Korea Football Association had originally canceled plans for cheering events out of respect for the victims of the Taiwan Halloween tragedy. But then the Red Devils applied for permission to hold the events in Gwanghamun Square to the Seoul Metropolitan Government and also submitted a safety plan to Jungno District Office. And as a result, around 26,000 people have gathered in Gwanghamun Square to cheer for South Korea in their opening World Cup match against Uruguay. 
The crowd was three times more than initially expected, but the event was kept safe and sound. The square was planned to be divided into five zones to accommodate around 8,000 people. But as more people have gathered, the police removed fences and blocked traffic on the eastern side of the square to secure more space. This time, the police and the Seoul Metropolitan City government deployed 1,400 safety personnel. Just to compare, four years ago during the World Cup Russia, only 90 safety personnel had been deployed and 55,000 people had gathered back then. The police, safety staff and the Red Devils made sure that the one-way streets were not blocked by the mass of people and requested several times to watch the game safely. When the game was over around midnight, people came out of the square consecutively without any accidents and with the help of the safety staff and police. There were also safety staff deployed in the subway stations as well, in which the police controlled the number of people getting into the station. According to the Comprehensive Situation Room run by the Seoul Metropolitan Government, there were no emergencies. Also, blue garbage bags were placed all over the square, and many citizens picked up garbage to leave the square clean. You know why it was safe? Because there was a protocol in place, and that's what it is. And uh, I do understand that because of what we saw during the 1029 tragedy, that uh, there were more emergency personnel. Um, but, I mean, the fact is, I mean, we saw, like uh, Po Kyung said, back in, during the uh, the last World Cup, World Cup uh, four Russia. years ago, only 90 safety personnel being deployed for 55,000 people, and there was nothing wrong there. Um it's, I mean, the number of safety personnel is not the big thing. As long as there are protocols in place, there is uh, very little chance that anything uh, bad is going to happen. But again, uh, for all the football fans out there, I think it might have been a little bit different. I think a lot of people are also saying that the atmosphere, like the World Cup fever. I don't know if you guys feel the World Cup fever. I had to start blasting some of the World Cup songs before the match at home uh, just to get the feel of the World Cup. But it's just been kind of different. I don't know if you guys see this. I think it's also, as you said, because of the weather and also the atmosphere and also after COVID. And uh, I also want to mention that I actually, probably you guys too, uh, we got these text messages on the day of the uh, first day uh, of the um, games. I got one at 6.55 from the government, uh, a safety measure Mm -hmm. uh, message that said um, that uh, we should be careful uh, during street cheering uh, if many people are gathered and also try to refrain from going to crowded places and yeah I didn't get so, any message oh I really I, I got this from Yongsan Kutsong from Yongsan uh, District you know why because mm. I'm probably not a Seoul citizen that's a Seoul resident that's probably why oh maybe that ah, okay. but I just realized that uh, ever since COVID-19 we're receiving many more of these uh, safety messages yeah. from the government look again I mean some people say that the safety messages are pointless but I don't think so I think it's just a it reminder makes you think yeah, one, yeah, one yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah and that's the point I was trying to make and uh, you know it makes you think and it kind of goes you you think twice right Mm -hmm. before you start uh, you know, doing something and mm-hmm. whatever. But <laughs> Patrick Pierzer, last Wednesday, Germany got in the loss, gave two to Japan. Yeah, German you fans. You don't have to <laughs> remind us about that. <laughs> German fans are not happy these days. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, hope again, uh, we will give you guys more coverage on Monday's match. Uh, that's also at 10 p.m. Korea Standard Time against Ghana. It is going to be a, a win-win, a must-win situation for Team Korea if they want to kind of advance to the next 
round. Uh, they also have Portugal. So uh, we'll see what happens. Nevertheless, it was a fun match. Uh, we're going to shift gears here. Uh, we've been talking about this all this week. The trucker strike uh, here in South Korea, which has intensified uh, warnings from the government over fears of disruption in supply and more. We talked about how this time around the government uh, is not holding back. They said we're not going to be, uh, you know, forgiving if you guys uh, go ahead with these uh, strikes. So we saw some of the messages and remarks from uh, Prime Minister Han Dok Su. So uh, give us some background on the protests and the latest updates as well. Sure. So unionized truckers or the cargo trucker solidarity under the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions staged a general strike on Thursday. And that's the second one in less than six months. The union said around 11,000 of its 22,000 members took part in rallies held nationwide. Uh, police estimated the number, however, at 9,600. Uh, the protesters are calling on permanent implementation of a so-called safe truck freight rate system to ensure minimum transportation fares, and it's aimed to prevent truck owners, drivers from overworking and speeding. There are another range, uh, another range of demands that need approval from the government and National Assembly. Uh, in terms of the freight rate system, though, the government and ruling People Power Party had promised to extend it for three years, but the truckers want a permanent one. Uh, the government called the strike an, quote, unlawful collective refusal to to deliver freight, and especially amid concerns of huge repercussions on the economy. In fact, back in June, massive delays of cargo shipments and supply disruptions inflicted some 2 trillion won or 1.5 billion US dollars of damage to several industries. That's when they had an eight-day strike. The government vowed with stern measures, with Minister of Land, Infrastructure and Transport Won Hee-ryong having warned on Thursday that the ministry seeks to issue an executive order to bring an end to the strike as early as next week if this situation continues. And this would happen under a law that came into force in 2004, the so-called Trucking Transport Business Act. And that means workers that refuse to follow the order and return to work will be punished with a 30-day license suspension or will be imprisoned for up to three years or will have to pay a fine of up to 30 million won. That would be around $22,500. According to the presidential office, an executive order is sincerely being under review, so it's not just an empty warning. And also it might happen faster than expected. Uh, regarding yesterday's strike, meanwhile, the trans Transport Ministry said uh, there has been no significant damage so far, and that's because major shippers and transport firms moved their cargo in advance uh, to get prepared for the demonstrations. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, in, in some ways, I do understand what the truckers are talking about here, but the, the one thing that I just never understand, okay, they, yes, they are overworking. I, if you look at, there's a uh, YouTube channel of this uh, one fella who uh, does his own trucking, and it's like basically they're making about $20,000 a, a month but if you take out all the expenses like the repairs for the trucks like the gas and all, a bunch of stuff they, they're only left about uh, $2,000 a month is what they say uh, despite hours they you know work something like 12 to 16 hours or something like that but I don't know why this has to do with the fact that they're speeding um, to me that just tells me that they're putting money before safety of mm -hmm. others and these trucks are massive uh, but uh, Again, it is interesting. The government is coming out strong. Who's going to kind of falter first? Who's going to step back here a bit? Uh, but, I mean, a 30-day license suspension and imprisonment, 
uh, that seems like a pretty big thing. And uh, whether or not the, the truckers are going to, I guess, uh, end their strike, we'll have to see here. Uh, but uh, there are a number of different strikes. Uh, we talked about how this doesn't just end with just the truckers, but they... Uh, a large number of other sectors are uh, getting involved with the uh, the strikes all at the same time. This time, the non-regular workers of public schools going on the general strike as well. Pogan is going to give us the updates on that. Right. So today, the non-regular workers of public schools went on a general strike, which would be the largest in scale since the breakout of the pandemic. The Nationwide Solidarity Con- Conference of Non-Regular Workers of Public Schools is scheduled to go on a strike for a day. So I didn't get any updates, so probably they went on a strike today. Uh, demanding income equality between regular and non-regular workers and addressing occupational diseases such as lung cancer linked to the school cafeteria environment. It's expected that about 80,000 people or workers will take part in the strike and about 50,000 people will attend the rally to be held in Yeoido, Seoul. Before the pandemic, around 40,000 took part in the rally held in July 2019. Non-regular workers of public schools refer to those who work at public schools but are not public officials. It's estimated that there are around 190,000 non-regular workers, including lecturers, and among them, around 100,000 are members of the union. According to the union, those working in school cafeterias and as after-school care staff will be mostly taking part in this round of the strike. Back in October last year, when the non-regular workers of public schools staged strikes, 25,000 workers took part and 23% of public schools were not able to provide lunch to students. This time, because the scale of the strike is much bigger than last year, it's expected that more schools won't be able to run its cafeterias, as there were reports that those working in school cafeterias are exposed to the risk of getting lung cancer, and because of the lifting of social distancing measures, more workers are expected to join the strike. And those affected schools apparently provided snacks or shortened their school hours today. I mean, I do understand uh, where the concern comes from, but uh, this also co- with kids not able to getting, get lunch, right? And I don't know if the schools are dealing with the, how they're able to resolve this. But uh, again, we're seeing not just one group, but multiple groups. I know the, uh, the non-regular workers of public schools are, aren't the only ones that are getting involved with the strikes. I think there's uh, other sectors that are getting in, uh, involved with the strikes. And I don't think I've ever seen a time when a whole bunch of other groups all together striking at the same time. And uh, this is a real test uh, to the current uh, UN administration uh, right now. Uh, let's move on here to some energy issues. And I think uh, moving forward here now that we are uh, at the winter season, Pogyoung earlier today, right before the show, asking me why I'm wearing a coat. It's it's winter. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty cold. I'm, I'm but human. it's not so cold today. <laughs> I I don't know. It was pretty cold for me, uh, and so I'm human after all. Uh, once winter hits, uh, energy is going to be the energy crisis is going to be the big thing that we're probably going to be talking about on this show. Uh, in the meantime, South Korea's public utility giant Kepco. Uh, is expected to be hit by the biggest loss uh, ever this year. We've been talking about year after year after year. KEPCO uh, seeing massive deficit, uh, while the private power generation 
firms can look forward to record profits. So you're seeing uh, polar opposites here. So what's this about? Right. Uh, although the year is not over yet, Korea Electric Power Corporation, or KEPCO, is actually already enduring its worst year amid the soaring global energy prices. So it is predicted to report a record loss in 2022. However, on the other side, uh, private power generation companies of major business groups that sell electricity to KEPCO will likely enjoy record high profits this year. KEPCO's operating loss amounted to 21.8 trillion won or 16.4 billion US dollars in the first nine months of the year. The full year loss the year before was 5.85 trillion won. So you see this big jump already. Uh, According to the Financial Supervisory Services Data Analysis Retrieval and Transfer System and other sources this Friday, six power generations firms under four big name companies such as SKGS, POSCO and Samcholli made a combined operating profit of 1.52 trillion won or $1.15 billion in the first three quarters of the year, which is around 1.9 times more than the same period a year ago. Uh, And the largest earnings uh, were made by GSEPS with 496.6 billion won. Uh, GS Power, 250.2 billion won, similar for Pazu Energy Service at 249.9 billion won, and then SKENC, 228.6 billion won, followed by POSCO Energy, 206.3 billion won, and S Power, 46.5 billion won. So those are the six uh, companies. Mm. And the biggest rise in the operating profit, the rise, was posted by SKENS as it more than tripled from the year before. So these firms mainly produce LNG, so electricity with liquefied natural gas. And while LNG prices have hiked due to geopolitical situations on the back of Russia's invasion, the wholesale price that KEPCO spends to these power generation companies has also soared. While the private power companies, thanks to direct imports of LNG at discount prices, are enjoying these unprecedented profits. Yeah, and you're not just seeing this here in South Korea. If you look at, for example, like in the United States, States, uh, some of these uh, oil companies, uh, energy companies are making record profits. Mm-hmm. And so that's been kind of the, the big criticism, right? Uh, a lot of people are sort of blaming the government for the inflation, which the huge brunt of the inflation is coming from the energy prices. And yet uh, they're not blaming the, uh, the the energy companies who are just, you know, raking in massive amounts of profit here. Why not just kind of decrease the prices and kind of ease up on the inflation? Uh, but at the same time, a lot of people are also saying that these energy companies, what they're doing at this time is because at the start of the pandemic, I mean, they're quote unquote losing out on a lot of the profits and they're trying to make up for the the loss of the, uh, you know, loss of profit from the the start of the pandemic. And so they're trying to even it out. But uh, I mean, it's I mean, Kepco is just bleeding money right now. It's really concerning. And again, that deficit we're looking at at this time exceeding 30 trillion Korean won. Uh, the government is mulling over applying a ceiling uh, mm-hmm. on the system 
marginal price or even raising electricity price. Uh, let's get the latest on this, Paul Kyung. Sure. So in line with what Soa just reported, it's expected that KEPCO or the Korea Power Electric Corporation's accumulated deficit will exceed 30 trillion Korean won. And the government implied that it would introduce a ceiling on the system marginal price or SMP to reduce the deficit range. And private generators are, of course, against such measure. According to the Ministry of Trade, Industry and Energy, a ceiling on the system marginal price will be introduced starting from early next month. And as you know, KEPCO purchases electricity from private generators that Soa just mentioned and sells it to the consumers. And SMP is the baseline price at which KEPCO purchases electricity in the market. In the U.S. and in Europe, the electricity business is mostly or partially privatized. But in South Korea, the government controls the energy prices such as electricity and gas. On one hand, the government can easily control the prices. But on the other hand, public companies such as KEPCO can accumulate deficit because consumer prices are not reflected with the current hike in energy prices. In this regard, the Ministry of Energy plans to revise current regulations on having a ceiling on energy prices. And of course, private generators are strongly against such measure because they will be making less money. Mm. And some experts also say that applying a ceiling on SMP is just a quick fix and that the hike in global energy prices should be reflected in the end electricity price that should be burdened by the consumer. Uh, in related news, uh, the government on Thursday announced details of its electric power supply plan for the future. So you have the details on this. Right. Uh, the Ministry of Trade, Industry and Energy revealed the outcomes of the 10th framework plan for national electric power supply on Thursday. Uh, so what this includes is uh, the ratio of nuclear power generation to the total is to be increased to 32.4% by 2030. Uh, renewable energy-based power generation is to go up to at least 100 gigawatt by 2036. And the ratio of coal-based power generation is planned to be reduced to less than 20%. Uh, in more detail, this means during this period up to year 2036, LNG power supplies are to increase from 41.3 gigawatt to 64.6 gigawatt and coal-based electric power to decrease from 38.1 gigawatt to 27.1 gigawatt. And uh, the energy ministry said that uh, the government is planning to achieve its greenhouse gas reduction goal by, quote, expanding nuclear power generation and renewable power generation by introducing power generation based on mixed combustion of hydrogen and ammonia and reducing coal-based power generation. For finalization of the plan, a public hearing is set to take place on November 28th, so on Monday, to gather opinions from the public, interested parties and experts. Again, I, you know, the biggest question, because I'm not an expert in like renewable energy or anything like that. But, uh, you know, one of the main reasons for why people use coal based energy is because it's cheap yeah. and then it's it's abundant. Right. But uh, if we switch to these renewable energy, is it going to cost us more? Uh, is the big question that I have at this time. But uh, as as we talked about before with the current uh, climate situation, I, I think it's uh, best that we kind of uh, shift over to renewable energy. Um, and if it's going to cost a little bit more, well, I mean, that's going to be the cost that we are going to have to pay uh, for the damage that's being done in the climate. Uh, speaking 
of which uh, the South Korean government will be giving more greenhouse gas emission credits uh, to those companies discharging less greenhouse gas for obvious reasons. Uh, let's get the details of this, Bogyoung. Sure. So the Ministry of Environment announced a plan to improve its greenhouse gas emission trading scheme. The plan is composed of a short-term and long-term scheme. For instance, if a company replaces its old facilities or builds new ones to reduce greenhouse gas emission, the government will give additional credits. Also, if companies use low-carbon material or renewable energy in its production, this will also be acknowledged as reducing greenhouse gas emission. Under the current greenhouse gas emission trading scheme, the government defines the total amount of emission that is allowed for a certain industry. Companies that have more emissions can purchase credits, and those that discharge less can sell credits, which can lead to the overall reduction in the greenhouse gas emission. According to the improved plan, securities companies are also encouraged to take part in the emission trading market. The amount of trading last year was 54,720,000 ton, which is 10 times more than the first year that was it was introduced in 2015, but is still less than expected. That is a crazy figure. We never kind of think about that, right? To how much uh, carbon emission uh, is emitted into the ozone. 54,720,000 ton. Um, yeah, carbon uh, trade, carbon credit trading is it's not something new uh, in like for example like in the U.S. Because I, I studied uh, environmental law when I was in in, in a university, and I was like, this is the big reason for why it's pointless to fight for the environment. Because again, uh, a lot of these companies, the bigger companies, basically, even though there's like a, a cap on uh, how much emissions that you can let out, they'll just you know buy off the credit. And then mm -hmm. what's the point of that, right? I mean, you have obviously when all the companies are given the same number of credit. And then the big, obviously, the smaller companies are not going to need as much. Uh, it's the, just the bigger companies that are going to be just buying these credits and, uh, you know, just let out more emissions. And it's just, it's kept the same way. Mm. It's like, you know, if you just cap it and they can't buy it or trade it anymore, then, you know, they'll try to, you know, emit less, right? And there'll just be, penal there'll be penalties for uh, emitting more than they should have and then use... You know, and then penalties and fines, in my opinion, would deter companies from, you know, more carbon emissions. But uh, that's not the case here. Uh, we had a message in from Patrick Purzer again from Germany, who says EU wants to make energy price cap. But all the producers like Russia or Saudi Arabia said, if you make a price cap, we will not deliver. Speaking of which, the European Union failing to agree on a gas price cap on natural gas prices to mitigate the energy crisis over in Europe. Uh, so let's get the latest on this. Right. European Union states have been long divided over the prospect of capping the price of natural gas. And a new proposal by the European Commission failed in bridging this divide. Uh, so what is this? Uh, the European Commission's um, proposal that came just a few days ago on Tuesday? It's a 275 Euros, euros per megawatt hour uh, cap that we're talking about. And uh uh, some several EU energy ministers that met in Brussels on Thursday uh, called the proposal a bad joke. Uh, other expressions were made that it's absolutely unenforceable, inefficient, and out of scope. Uh, so yeah, and also not fit for the purpose. Yeah. Uh, so uh, one of the um, the reasons for why they are not on the same page is because the criteria, the foreseen criteria, they say are so high that it may never be activated. 
And uh, this is why uh, I believe more discussions are needed. Now, the reason for why they are actually looking for this kind of cap, uh, just uh, quickly an explanation is that it would bar Russian oil shipments from receiving uh, maritime services, for instance, finance and insurance uh, in G7 countries unless the oil is sold under the uh, prescribed price. Uh, now, because uh, and uh, meanwhile, also the EU is uh, pushing ahead with a ninth round of sanctions on Russia in response uh, to its attacks on Ukraine. And this, according to European Commission Chief uh, Ursula von der Leyen on Thursday, who said we're working hard. Uh, to hit Russia where it hurts to blunt even further its capacity to wage war in Ukraine. And I can announce today that we are working full speed on a ninth sanctions package uh, uh, during a news conference during a visit in Finland is when she said that. But we need your energy is basically what's what's happening right now. Again, I just never understood this because from the get-go, they were basically moving to kind of cut back on purchasing uh, Russian energy. I, I know there's been some cutbacks and things like that, but there's still countries that are, you know, buying uh, large amounts of uh, Russian energy at discounted prices. Apparently, uh, so again, what it's either you completely cut it off or you don't. I, it, this is, I mean, Russia is. You knew that Russia was going to use energy uh, as a way to kind of hit uh, Europe really hard uh, for, of course, uh, siding with uh, Ukraine. But it's going to be a rough winter is all I'm saying at this time. Uh, let's move on to other issues here. The UN uh, deciding to investigate human rights abuses in Iran. Uh, this, of course, sparked by the death of a Kurdish woman who died uh, because of uh, allegedly not wearing her hijab appropriately. We talked about this. We, in fact, also uh, connected with someone uh, live from Tehran, I believe, uh, earlier this week. But uh, China continues to veto uh, these. They, they have these, China has the veto power, and I guess because of uh, human rights, it's related to human rights. That China is also very uh, sensitive when it comes to human rights uh, issues. Uh, let's get the details of this, Pugyang. Sure. So the UN Human Rights Council decided on Thursday to dispatch an investigation team to Iran to investigate human rights abuses. Human rights abuses in Iran are not new, but was recently once again sparked when Masa Amini, a 22-year-old Kurdish woman, was arrested by the morality police for allegedly wearing her hijab inappropriately. Iranian authorities said she died from natural causes due to a pre-existing condition, but her family suspect that she was beaten. And since then, protests began and around 300 people have been killed, including children, and 14,000 people were arrested during the last 10 weeks. As a result, the UN's Human Rights Council voted to set up a fact-finding investigation into human rights abuses in Iran. 47 member countries took part in the vote, in which 25 nations were for and six were against the investigation. And among those casting veto votes were China, Cuba, Pakistan, and others. And uh, Volker Turk, the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, urged Iran to halt the violent and unnecessary crackdown on protesters. And Iran denied such allegations, saying that anti-government groups, including the U.S., is fostering such anti-government protests. 
Yeah, um, the interview that uh, we had, I believe, earlier this week, um, we, of course, uh, used a nickname for her just for uh, security purposes. Uh, you know, she was telling us that hundreds of people have died so far because of these uh, protests. And uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a shame. And, uh, you know, if you look at the history of Iran in the past, you know, before the Islamic uh, Revolution, uh, it was just a completely different country. Uh, it was very much westernized. And, but uh, uh, obviously after the Islamic uh, Revolution, you know, they're living in, in a completely different uh, society there. And uh, them too, again, fighting for uh, democracy, which really hits us uh, really close to home for all of us here in South Korea. Patrick Pierzer again. Uh, very vocal today. Sanctions should punish the ones who were sanctioned, not the ones who made the sanctions. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, it's like kind of like you, you sanction Russia and then you go, but, you know, we need your energy. You think Russia is going to go, sure, here are some of our energies for a really uh, cheap price. It's a, it's a tough situation right now. And uh, Europe is going to be hit probably hit worst uh, during the winter time. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward here. Guys, uh, thank you very much for coming in today with your reports. Please stay safe. Have a great weekend. We'll see you guys again next week. Have a good weekend. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.